We're going to read chapter 2, Medea the Sorceress. She turned away from her father's eyes and went into her own chamber. For a long time, she stood there with her hands clasped together. She heard the voice of Chalciope lamenting because Ides had taken a hatred to her sons and might strive to destroy them. She heard the voice of her sister lamenting, but Medea thought that the cause that her sister had for grieving was small compared with the cause that she herself had. She thought on the moments when she had seen Jason for the first time in the courtyard as the mist lifted and the dove flew to her. She thought of him as he lifted those bright eyes of his, and then she thought of his voice as he spoke after his father. Her father had imposed the dreadful trial upon him. She would have liked then to have cried out to him, O youth, if others rejoice at the doom that you go to, I do not rejoice. Still her sister lamented, but how great was her own grief compared to her sister's, for Chalcio could try to help her sons and lament, and could lament for the danger that were that they were in, and no one could blame her. But she might not strive to help Jason, nor might she lament for the danger he was stranger against her father's design. How terrible it would be for a woman of Colossus to help a stranger against the will of the king. How terrible it would be for a daughter for a daughter to plot against King Edes in his own palace. And then Medea hated Ea, her city. She hated the furious people who came together in an assembly, and she hated the brazen bulls that Hephaestus had given her father. And then she thought that there was nothing in Ea except the furious people and fire-breathing bulls. Oh, oh, how pitiful it was that the strange hero and his friends should have come to such a place for the sake of the golden fleece that was watched over by the sleepless serpent in the grove of Ares. Still, Charles Ope lamented, Would Charles Ope come to her and ask her, Medea, to help her sons? If she should come, she might speak it of the strangers too, and of the danger they were in. Medea went to her couch and lay down upon it. She longed for her sister to come to her, to call to her. But Chalciope stayed in her own chamber. Medea, lying upon her couch, listened to her sister's laments. At last she went near where Chalciope was. Then the shame that she would think so much about the stranger came over her. She stood 
There, without moving, she turned to go back to the couch, and then trembled so much that she could not stir. As she stood between her couch and her sister's chamber, she heard the voice of Shao Tzu calling to her. She went into the chamber where her sister stood. Shao Tzu flung her arms around her. Swear, she said she to Medea. Swear by Hecate the moon that you will never speak of something I'm going to ask you. Medea swore that she that she would never speak of it. Shalsoap spoke of the danger of her son's reign. She asked Medea to devise a way by which she could escape with the stranger from Ea. In Ea and in Colossus, she said, there will be no safety for my sons henceforth. And to save Frontis and Melus, she said, Medea would have to save the strangers also. Surely she knew of the charm that would save the stranger from the brazen bulls in the contest on the morrow. So Shell Soap came to the very thing that Medea, that was in Medea's mind. Her heart was bounded with joy, and she embraced her. Shall so, she said, I declare that I am your sister indeed, I, and your daughter too. For did you not care for me when I was an infant? I will strive to save your your, your sons. I will strive to save the strangers who came with your sons. Send one to the strangers. Send him to the leader of the strangers and tell him that I will see him at daybreak in the temple of Hecate. When Medea said this to Shalso, said this, Shalso embraced her again. She was amazed to see how Medea's tears were flowing. Shalso, she said, no one will know the dangers that I shall go through to save them. Swiftly, Shal Soap went from the, her chamber, but Medea stayed there with her head bowed and the blush of shame on her face. She thought that, alre- that already she had deceived her sister, making her think that it was Frontis and Malaeus and not Jason that was in her mind to save. Uh, and she thought on how she ha- have to plot against her father and against her own people, and all for the sake of a stranger who would sail away without thought of her, without an image of her in his mind. Jason with Pelus and Telamon. Pelus and Telamon went back to the Argo. His comrades asked how he had fared, but when he spoke of them, of the fire-breathing bolts with freed of brass, and of the dragon's teeth that had to be sown, and of, and of the earth-born men that had to be overcome, the Argonauts were greatly cast down, for this task, they thought, was one that could not be accomplished. 
he who stood before the fire-breathing bulls would perish on the moment. But he knew that one amongst them would strive to accomplish the task. And if Jason held back, Peleus, Telamon, Theseus, Castor, Paldelsius, or any of the others would undertake it. But Jason would not hold back. On the morrow, he said he would strive to yoke the fire-breathing brazen-footed bulls to plow the adamant. If he perished, the Argonauts should then do what they thought was best. Make other trials to gain the golden fleece or turn their ship and sail back to Greece. While they were speaking, Frontis, Shalsop's son, came to the ship. The Argonauts welcomed him, and in and a while he began to speak to of his mother's sisters and of the help she would give. They grew eager as he spoke to of her, all except Ruth Arcas who stood wrapped in his bear's skin. Shame on us, Ruth Arcus cried. Shame on us if we are come here to carve and help of girls. Speak no more of this. Let us, the Argonauts, go with swords into the city of Ea and slay this king and carry off the fleets of gold. Some of the Argonauts murmured approval of what Arcus said. But Orpheus listened to him, and then, in his prophetic mind, Orpheus saw something of help that Medea would give them. It would be well, Orpheus said, to take help of this wise maiden. Jason should go in to, to her temple to, of Hecate. To her in the temple of Hecate. The Argonauts agreed to this. They listened to what Frontis told them about the brazen bulls, and the night wore on. While darkness came upon the earth, when at sea sailors looked at to the bear and the stars of Orion, then in the city that was no longer the sound of barking dogs nor of men's voices, Medea went from the palace. She came to a path. She followed it until it brought her to the part of the grove that was all black with the shadow that the oak trees made. She raised up her hands and she called upon Hecate the moon. As she did, as she did, there was a blaze as from torches all around, and she saw horrible serpents stretching themselves toward her from the branches of the trees. Medea shrank back in fear, but again she called upon Hecate. And now there was a howling as from the hounds of Hades all around her. Fearful indeed, Medea grew as the howling came near her, almost turned to flee. But she raised her hands again and called upon Hecate. Then the nymphs who haunted in the marsh of the river shrieked, and at the shrieks Medea crouched down in fear. She called upon Hecate the moon again. 
She saw the moon rise above the treetops, and then hissing and shrieking and howling died away. Holding up a goblet in her hand, Medea poured out a libation of honey to Hecate, the moon. And then she went to where the moon made the brightness upon the ground. She saw a flower that rose above the other flowers, a flower that grew from two joint stalks, and and that was of the color of crocus. Medea came to a deep groan out of the earth. Uh, Medea cut the stalks with a brazen knife, and as she did, there came a deep groan out of the earth. This was prom- this was the Promethean flower. It had come out of the earth first when the vulture that tore Promethea's liver had left it fall to the earth uh, let fall to the earth a drop of his blood with the caspian shell that she had brought with her medea gathered dark juice of this flower the juice that went to make her most potent charm at night she went through the grove gathering the juice of the secret herbs then she mingled them in the file that she put away in her girdle. She went from that groove along the river. When she, when the sun shed its first rays upon the snowy ca- Caucasus, she stood outside the temple of Hecate. She waited, but she had not long to wait. For like the bright star of Cirrus rising out of the ocean, soon she saw Jason coming toward her. She made a sign to him, and he came and stood beside her in the portals of the temple. They would have stood face to face if Medea did not have her head bent. A blush had come upon her face, and Jason, seeing it, and seeing how her head was bent, knew how grievous it was to her to meet and speak to a stranger in in this way. He took her hand and spoke to her reverently, as one should speak to a priestess. Lady, he said, I implore you by Hecate and by Zeus, who helps all strangers and suppliants, to be kind to me. And without your help, I cannot hope to prevail again uh, to prevail in the grievous trial that has been laid upon me. If you will help us, Medea, your name will be renowned throughout all Greece, and I and I have hopes that you will help us. For your face and form show you will be one who can be kind and gracious. A blood. The blush of shame had gone from Medea's face, and a softer blush came over her as Jason spoke. She looked upon him, and she knew that she could hardly live if the breath of the uh, if the breath of the brazen bulls withered his life, or if the Earthman slew him. She took the charm from from out her griddle ungrudgingly she put it into jason's hands and and she gave him the charm 
that she had gained with such danger and fear and trouble that was around her heart, melted as she drew melt from around the rose when it was warmed by the first light of the morning. Then they spoke standing close together in the portal of the temple. She told him how he would anoint his body all over with the charm. It would give him, she said, boundless, boundless and untiring strength and make him so that the breath of the bulls would not wither him nor the horns of the bulls pierce him. She told him also to sprinkle his shield and his sword with the charm. And then they spoke of the dragon's teeth and told Jason that when they rose out of the earth, he was to cast a great stone amongst them. The earthborn men would struggle about the stone, and they would slay each other in the contest. Her dark and delicate face was beautiful. Jason looked upon her, and it came into his mind that Colossus, there was something else of the worn besides the golden visa. There was something else of worth besides the golden fleece and he thought that after he had won the fleece and would be peace between the argonauts and king Aegis, and that he and medea might sit together in the king's hall but when he spoke of being joined in friendship with her father medea cried think not of treaties nor covenants in Greece, such are regarded, but not here. I do not think that the king, my father, will keep any peace with you. When, when you have won the fleece, you must hasten away. You must not tarry in you. She said this, and her cheeks went, were wet with tears, to think that he should go so soon, and he would go so far that she would never look upon him again. She bent her head again, and she said, Tell me about your own land, about the palace of your father, from where you will live when you wend your way back to Colossus. Then Jason told her of Elocus, and told her how it was circled by the mountains, not so lofty as her Causcus. He told her of the pasture lands of Alocas with her flocks of sheep, and he told her of the mountain pelion where he had been reared by Chiron, the ancient senator. He, he, he told her of his father, who lingered out of his life in waiting for his return. Medea said, When you go back to Elocus, do not forget me, Medea. I shall remember you, Jason, despite my father's ill will toward you, and it will be my hope that some rumor of you will come to me like some messenger bird. If you forget me, May some blast of wind sweep me away to Elocus, and may I sit in your hall as an unknown and unexpected guest. Then they parted, 
Medea went swiftly back to the palace, and Jason, turning to the river, went to where the Argo was moored. The heroes embraced and questioned him, and he told them of Medea's consul, and he showed them the charm she had given him. That savage man, Arcus, scoffed at Medea's consul and Medea's charm, saying that the Argonauts had become poor-spirited indeed when they had to depend upon a girl's help. Jason bathed in the river, then he anointed himself with the charm. He sprinkled his spear and shield and sword with it. He came to Arcus, who sat upon his bench, still nursing his anger, and he held the spear toward him. Arcus took up his heavy sword, and he hewed at the butt of his spear. The edge of the sword turned. The blade leaped back in his hand as if it had been struck against an anvil, and Jason, feeling within him a boundless and tireless strength, laughed aloud. So that was chapter two. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. See you later. See ya. See ya. Later. Bye, guys.